To take the, the Four Noble Truths as uh, one of the central keys that the Buddha was offering to penetrate into our life to some degree of freedom, and awakening, to really clarify our life, it requires us to be very honest about suffering and then to be even more honest about our role in that suffering. And our role here is, you know, is encapsulated in this term tanna, thirst. So the a lot of synonyms I've been using for it, but craving, clinging, thirsting, uh, holding, resisting. Uh, somehow we, we and in seeing, take, being very, very responsible, very honest about this in ourselves, and then beginning to learn. Where is it that I can let go? How is that I can let go? How does letting go happen? Where is the, what, are, what are the conditions that set into place the possibility of letting go? So there has to be some wisdom here, understanding, that in order to really deal with our suffering, there has to be some willingness to look at ourselves more deeply and to look, what is my role in this? And where is it that I'm holding? Where is the possibility for me to let go? to intuit that, to feel it, to see it directly. And uh, some, for some things it's really obvious. You can just obvious where I'm clinging to. And other times it might take um, months or years of presence, of study, of investigation, of concentration to be able to see some of the deeper roots of, uh, of where the clinging might be. So that in Buddhism then the task is for each of us is to study suffering and to study, to understand uh, what, it, what, what is it we need to let go of? So there has to be some willingness to look at this question. What is it that I can let go of? Even if I can't let go of it right now, what is it, what's my role, what's my responsibility? What can I let go of? What, 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 where would be useful for me to look at so I can find where is it that I'm, what is it that I, what would be useful to look at in myself to understand what I can let go of in this issue of suffering? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Make sense enough? So what I'd like now, we have, we just take a, another 15 minutes or so, is I'd like you to go back into um, the dyad you had before. And there's two people who joined, uh, Kate and um, Kumari. Maybe you can become a pair. And, um, and, I, and, I, and so go back into your pairs you had before. And, um, and I'll ring a bell so you know when to switch. switch. But you have about six, seven minutes for each of you to talk about um, uh, this very challenging teaching that this teaching of looking at ourselves and trying to understand what is it that we contribute? Where's the holding or the thirsting in ourselves? And what is it that we can let go of? So what is your relationship to this? If you look at yourself or explore on your own this possibility of you letting go of something, what happens to you? What's your relationship to that? thoughts do you have, what protests do you have, what you discover. What, where, where, where do you think, maybe say, say it this way, what, what aspect of your life do you think would be useful to look at in trying to understand how you cling, how you grasp? Does that make sense as a question? Where would it be useful to look at to understand where you're clinging, where you grasp? Now when you do this exploration, I can't. I can't feel like I can never stop saying this enough. It's you're exploring this for yourself, not for the sake of the person who's listening. So if you find yourself explaining to something that you know all too well the whole full story, then you know summarize it really quickly because you want to get to the cutting edge, growing edge of your understanding to understand something new. Some people actually like to close their eyes when they do this. And just kind of, kind of, so it's more internal than exploration. So, um, why don't you go back to your partners and decide who's going to start, and then I'll ring the bell when it's time to switch.
So um, <coughs> there is, <coughs> excuse me. There is a, excuse me, I think I'm back. So there is a Buddhist scholar who, a Pali scholar, knows the ancient language of the Buddha. And um, when he translates the expression Four Noble Truths, he doesn't, which is usually in English, um, he translates it a little bit differently. His translation is, the four ennobling truths. The four ennobling truths. And um, so, to experience our, you know, a lot of people have experience with suffering, but just to experience suffering on its own is not ennobling. We have to bring something, we have to bring a certain kind of attention or presence or engagement with the suffering that somehow we get ennobled or it becomes an ennobling activity. And um, so same thing with clinging, the grasping or thirsting. It can be ennobling or cannot, depending on what we bring to it. So I think there's a certain kind of dignity and nobility to um, bringing attention to suffering and to clinging. And um, I think it's somewhat important to understand because it's very easy to think that um, this is why Buddhism is such a dour religion. You know, these Buddhists, you know, they, all they talk about is suffering and they rub my nose and my suffering. And, and, um, but the point is that this is a path to, uh, to becoming ennobled, becoming dignified or becoming free. And it's a very it's a dignified or res- respectful, a very important process, a very maturing process to engage in this. And... Um, so we're not ask, asking just to suffering for suffering's sake. We're asked to meet our suffering in a way that is ennobling, maturing, deepening for ourselves. So, um, so part of the practice of Buddhism is to learn how to do that. What kind of presence and mindfulness and concentration uh, is, is needed in order to engage properly with our suffering and then to understand our clinging. Um, but in a sense, this part of the Four Noble Truths, the first two, is more like the descent, you know, into the into it all. And now we're about to turn a corner and start the ascent. And uh, and uh, appropriately, we'll start with lunch. <laughs> and. Uh, so, so um, what I'd like to do, if, if you think we could have uh, the lunch break be 45 minutes? Those of you who've done a lot, 45 minutes, you think is enough this time? Because we're running a little bit late. And so um, let's take it until 1.30. And um, you're welcome to talk. At, what? Oh, because you, you go out to eat. Boy, you're, you're clinging to that. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you come here, you... <laughs> so, well... Um, There are fast food joints nearby. No <laughs> <laughs> food and the subway and I don't know. Anyway, well, let's let's try 45 minutes and, and don't get indigestion, you know. And um, and um, and then we'll start. And so, yeah, please enjoy your lunch. You can talk during lunchtime. You can set up the tables inside or outside. Check chairs outside if you'd like to sit outside. Just bring them back in again. Sorry. None of the air conditioners on. I think this air conditioner is set for too low. It gets too cold in here. Okay. So the now we come to the third noble truth, and um, the instructions in the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness is to know the cessation of the ces- no cessation, to know the, ces- the cessation, the ending of clinging, grasping, thirsting, the ending of suffering, and um, it kind of follows. You know. It's a directly from the second noble truth. There's clinging and there's the end of clinging. The two go together. And um, this is the kind of, this is the, uh, the good news of Buddhism. And um, to, cho- to, have to use the word cessation as the expression for the third noble truth uh, hides the fact that this is good news. I mean, cessation doesn't sound it's like a big word. We don't use the word very often. And um, what does it mean after all? But uh, this is the happiness, the peace, the awakening, the freedom, the liberation that um, the Buddhist path is pointing towards. 
So this is really the good news. And um, the, um, in terms of cessation, um, there's a number of freedom, there's a number of ways in which that can be understood. One is, um, there's two major ones I would like to mention now. One is that as we experience something like our suffering, um, we can bring a kind of presence to it, an awareness to it, that the awareness itself somehow is spacious enough, accepting enough, allowing enough, open enough, that we're not suffering because of the suffering. There's, you're gonna, there's a shift of perspective, and we, it's possible to, to, in a sense, identify, live in the perspective that can hold the suffering without being identified or caught or living in the suffering itself. Does that make sense? A shift of perspective. It's kind of like you know, thinking outside the box. So it's like thinking outside, you know, being outside the box of, your, of the maze of suffering and clinging and all that and kind of stepping out and saying, oh, there it is. And that shift um, can have a, a visceral, felt sense feeling to it of, of a place of maybe space, spaciousness, ease, peace, calm, a uh, little bit sense of healthy remove or distance from the suffering and all that. And, um, and that ease, there can be a sense of ease in that. And that's very important to have some sense of that because um, if you don't have some sense of a place of calm removed from the suffering, from the fire, then um, you think the only option is to get rid of the fire, the pain, the suffering, right? But there's, you don't necessarily have to get rid of it. It's possible to have this clear knowing of suffering, of clinging. And in that knowing itself, there's something about the knowing when it's very pristine or very clear or very stabilized, that the knowing itself has a quality of freedom or awakening or relief or release in it itself. So again, repeating myself, it's very important because if, um, if you don't know that, then you keep attacking the problem as if the problem has to go away. And it is, there is a certain kind of uh, maturity and freedom that can be had, not by making something go away, but becoming bigger than it or stepping outside of it. That's one kind of freedom, one kind of cessation, this ending of being entangled with what's going on. Then there's another kind of freedom, or another kind of liberation or cessation, and that is that the very problem, the suffering and the cause of suffering itself, is comes to an end. So it's not just simply that we accommodate the suffering by having this more spacious kind of presence, but actually there's somehow the root suffering for the, uh, the root clinging for that suffering is somehow let go of and doesn't arise again. Now, that can be a relatively short term uh, if you are clinging to having dessert after lunch and you begin suffering because, you know, where is that dessert? I guess there was some cookies, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, you're, you know we're, I'm suffering, I really want dessert, and you, why is, you know, this and that. And then you see that, oh, it's just dessert. You know, I had my fill, I'm basically content and happy. Um, you know, there's, you know, it's, I'm probably just going to get an indigestion if I have that. So, so I'll just let go of the desire for dessert. And maybe it's relatively easy until the next meal. And then it arises again. Um, there might be um, a certain clinging to wanting to be seen in certain ways. Um, and so you see that, oh, I'm trying to prove myself and show everyone how wonderfully profound my understanding of Buddhism is, so I'll ask the most profound question I could think of in stump guilt. <laughs> and uh, you see, oh, I'm just trying to show off. And so and you see that, so, oh, I don't need to do that. And you can let go of that maybe pretty easily. So I'm trying, you know, some things are pretty, can be pretty easy. And, um, but then they re-arise later. And sometimes it's possible to somehow penetrate or settle certain kinds of clinging. So it maybe never arises again. And uh, um, I'm thinking of a woman who came to retreats with me, a series of retreats. And she came back one year and said, you know, after last year's retreat, before that retreat, um, I was very judgmental. I was always judging people, judging people negatively, very critically. Was constantly going during retreat. It was outside my normal life. It was like a kind of a, uh, a constant theme was a judgment. And I don't know what happened in that last retreat, but since that last retreat a year ago, I've stopped judging people. So I don't know now. It's been many years, and I don't know if it's come back. But that's you know a year, you know something that's kind of deep in our personality, in our personality to have that kind of come to an end for a whole year, 
is pretty dramatic, I think. You know, so there are a lot of things that can kind of actually come to an end. Certain cravings, some addictions. You know, I need to have that. I need to be a certain way. I need, you know, can you can kind of see through it, and it's, you know, and we're no longer interested. Um, so, um, so there's a kind of freedom that can be called kind of stepping back and accepting or allowing or accommodating what's going on, and then there's a kind of freedom that can happen when something actually disappears, actually finishes and is settled or settled down, and um, and then for the kind of kind of freedom that comes when things are come to an end, there's a kind that is temporary, just as good for a little while. And then there's that which uh, is much more permanent and abiding. In any case, one of the things the Buddha is asking us to do here is to know sensation. To know uh, what it's like. In, la- in other places he talked about know what it's like to be without the hindrances. Know what it's like to be without attachments. So, it's one thing is to kind of look at clinging, look at attachments, look at suffering. And some people then will kind of, once it's done with, they'll kind of forget about it and go on with their life and do something else. But uh, my reading of the Buddha's teaching is it's actually very important when something has come to an end, some suffering or some cause of suffering, to spend a little time getting a visceral felt sense or sense of what it's like, the absence of that clinging and that suffering. And that has a number of advantages. One is that it, it gives you a reference point of what it's like to be without clinging. And it kind of reminds the body, kind of, well, this is a good place to be, this is a nice thing. And so it strengthens that place. You know, by appreciating it, it strengthens it. And maybe even deepens it a little bit. And by becoming familiar with it, it's maybe easier to let go into it in the future. Because, oh, I know this place. This is a place of, you know, it has benefits, there's advantages in this place. I can feel a sense of well-being, I can feel the sense of uh, compassion, the sense of creative thinking that can arise in that place where I'm not caught up in things. And that's a really good thing. And so, in the future, when you realize you have to let go, you're clinging to something, maybe you're more willing to let go because you know that the place of letting go, the place you let go into, is a great place, is a nice place. Make sense? So there's clinging and then there's the ending of clinging, the release of it. And as I've been teaching this week, um, there are two general senses of letting go. There's letting go of something, and then there's letting go into something. And um, most people think of letting go of something as being the main name of the game. But there's also letting go into something. And whenever you let go of something, you're letting go into something. You know, they go hand in hand. And um, so um, if we let go of clinging, we let go into a sense of ease or openness. If we let go of hate, maybe we let go into friendliness or loving kindness or compassion. If we let go of confusion, we maybe we let go maybe we let go into into clarity, understanding, maybe not, but at least we let go into a sense of, you know, maybe ease or peace. Just kind of letting go into something. And so the idea of, when we, when we talk about the cessation as the third noble truth, it might for some people hide the fact that there is a, the cessation of one thing, it's kind of like the arising of something else. Or, to say a different way, maybe a better way, when something ceases, it allows something else to be revealed. And I like the word revealed because then it's not up to you. You know, like I have to figure out something here. Something shows itself. So when you let go of clinging, what's the opportunity there? What's the learning there? What is it that gets revealed and shown to you? What is it that's really good that happens as a result? And having some sense of the benefits of letting go are really important because without that, uh, some people are unwilling to let go. Because you know, that's the only thing they know is holding on. And, but if you feel like letting go actually is a really good thing, and maybe a trustworthy thing, some people are afraid of letting go because they're afraid of the sense of defensivelessness or the sense of somehow that, that that might arise when you let go. And so you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be vulnerable then. If I let go, then I'll be vulnerable, and people take advantage of me, or this or that. And, but if you have some sense of something really good that it comes with letting go, 
it not only was maybe a place of peace, but it might also be a place of strength or a place of greater understand, better understanding of how to take care of yourself in, from that place. So it's important to get some sense of, of the benefits or what it's like to the, uh, the, the, the good side of letting go of cessation. And I'd like to suggest that each of you have had lots of experience of this. this is, uh, even though you might not realize this yet, I apologize for telling you what you should be, what you should be like. <laughs> uh, you'll forgive me, I hope. But, uh, but uh, I say that all of you have had some experience of letting go, of ending of cessation, of, of a certain degree of clinging or holding of suffering. And don't underestimate the value of what you've done already, the experience you've done already. So now the question is, on the other, what's the other side of that? What do you know about the benefits or the well-being or the positive aspects of having done that letting go? Am I making sense? That's the question. And uh, so it might be you know, something really simple. The fact that, uh, I mean, I don't know why this comes to mind as an example, but uh, you were driving here today. And of course you were in a hurry to get here because it was so important. And, see, uh, and so you came to a stop sign and, and uh, you came, two people came to the same stop sign, you know, intersection at the same time as you. And li- literally you had the right of way, but you could see the other people kind of chomping at the bit to get through. And so you let go of your sense of needing to get, get to IMC two seconds faster. And so you let go and let the other person go by. And, and uh, it can be that simple. So what was it like to let go of, you know, needing to get here so quickly, those two seconds, you know. And, and, and then, you know, letting go of that and allowing expression of generosity, perhaps, to someone else. What's that like? To appreciate that. Take, take a moment to appreciate that, to value that. Even though it maybe was so, so, so teeny thing. The teeny, the, uh, teeny things add up. Teeny things begin reconditioning the mind. And make it easier and easier then to let go of the big things. So to train yourself in the small things, so that when it gets really big, that uh, you have the muscle, letting go muscle stronger, and you have the wisdom and understanding of what, that, what it entails and what can come out of it. So, I think you all just had lunch. Is it safe to meditate? Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one way of letting go is to, is to sleep, right? <laughs> you know, you can all put you, put you all asleep, and they say that. Um, Nirvana, now sleep is a poor man's nirvana. <laughs> so, um, is it safe to meditate or should we do something more energizing? No. No. <laughs> okay, so why don't you take a meditative posture? And you might have to uh, sit uh, with greater sense of, you know, dynam- dynamism. You know, Really strong, alert, like a noble person. Maybe, you know, there's ancient, li- and especially in the ancient times, we don't use it so, use it so much nowadays, but uh, they use the language of being a warrior. And, um, and uh, you know, bring out the warrior in you if you're really tired. Maybe part of the reason was they had only one meal back then, they're really tired after lunch, and so they had to really muster themselves up so the warrior language really made sense I don't know <laughs> uh, but um, the point is uh, bring some energy into the sitting here and if you need to uh, uh, open your eyes uh, so if, you, if sleepiness becomes, uh, begins taking over so um, but for now close your eyes and take um, just a little bit bigger breaths than usual not just a little bit a teeny bit more than you bigger, deeper breaths than you normally would. But as you do that little bit deeper breaths, um, see if the, uh, you can kind of appreciate the uplifting quality, the energetic quality of breathing in. And breathing in more de- a little more deeply than usual. Can you feel uh, the uplift, any kind of uplift sense in your spine? maybe especially your upper spine between the shoulder blades. 
right up into the vertebrae of your of your neck. your breath return to normal. Letting your breath breathe itself. As you experience your breathing, as you experience the body's, as you you feel how the body experiences breathing, imagine that your breathing is at the very center of your being. And that everything else that occurs is peripheral to that. And you're not going to deny or ignore or push away anything. It can be in the background or it can be in the periphery or very much be present, everything else. But you stay right at the middle of it all, right at the center with the breath. Breathing, letting the breath kind of undulate and like waves perhaps up through everything. There's no sense of denying anything or pushing anything away. Whatever way you're feeling, your body or your mind or your heart, whatever's going on in the room, is all fine. But at the center of it all, you have your breathing. Stay there with the breath. Ride the breath. Float on the breath. Let the in-breath and the out-breath fill the sails of your awareness.
I'm going to now give you a very important piece of instruction for this sitting. And for the next little while, just a short while, I want you to completely stop paying attention. Don't notice anything. Stop any effort to be mindful. Let go of paying attention. I suspect is that for a good number of you, you can't do that unless you race off into your world of thoughts quickly and lose yourself there. In fact, for some of you, imagine that the very attempt to let go of attention makes you more attentive. Attention, awareness, is not something you have to do. It's a natural functioning. Experiment over the next couple of minutes with letting go into awareness. Rather than trying to pay attention, let go of everything that gets in the way of being attentive. Natural awareness. Let go into awareness, the natural awareness which is here. Every time you exhale, perhaps, let go into awareness.
And now, as you exhale, see if you can extend the letting go into the very core of your being, into the marrow of your bones, the core of your heart. As you exhale, see if you can let go at a very deepest level that you have access to. Maybe the letting go just has a sense of softening around or easing up on. Feel your way into the core of your being. Sense your way into it. And in feeling it as you exhale, let go, relax, ease up. And to whatever degree you can let go, ease up on, soften, can you also experience something good from that? Some sense of peace or joy or happiness or well-being? See if you can notice the other side of letting go. And as you let go, let go into that well-being, into the joy or the peace, whatever the qualities, however the qualities felt for you. As you breathe, see if you can breathe with the other side of letting go. If you can breathe with whatever sense of well-being or joy or peace or calm that might be there. As if the breath is like the wind fanning the flames of a fire. Somehow strengthening it, letting it grow, that well-being.
experiment a little bit to see if you can relax into some well-being, some sense of freedom or peace. Now there's a a cycle or a spiral where the more we let go, the more we are relaxed or at ease, the more sensitive we can be to more subtle forms of suffering and clinging. And then we can address those more subtle (coughs) forms of suffering and clinging and perhaps let go of them and move into a deeper level of peace or well-being. And then that can really reveal something deeper, deeper clinging or suffering, something maybe subtle but very deep, very tenacious, and even fundamental to who we are, our personality. So there can be this wonderful cycle, letting go, being more at ease, and at ease revealing more places to let go. everything.
So one of the things that one of the opportunities, or the, one of the, one thing is on the other side of letting go, is the ability to see more clearly, more deeply. And so there's a wonderful cycle, a spiral then of letting go, being stiller, being able to see, having more, having more clarity, and that greater clarity, being able to let, let go more deeply, and it goes on and on. And then ultimately, awakening with a capital A is when um, the deepest root of clinging in the mind lets go. There's a release from all clinging. There's no clinging. No clinging at all characterizes or shapes the mind or the heart. The mind and heart is not influenced by any kind of clinging at all. That kind of ultimate freedom, ultimate release. And um, it's a very radical transformation of a human being to have that happen. And um, one of the ways the Buddhist tradition talks about that is they talk about that happiness or that freedom as being unconditioned. And what that means is that it's not shaped or conditioned by anything. It's not dependent on anything. It's not... um, um, most, Most things in life are conditioned or shaped or manufactured and cause and conditions come together to make it happen. So many forms of happiness as we have are conditioned happinesses. I feel happy today because uh, my boss praised me. I got a raise. I'm happy today because I got that hot date that I wanted. Or I'm happy today because I won the lottery. Or I'm happy today because it's good weather. Maybe some of those are all reasonable forms of happiness, but but they're all kind of conditioned about things in the world being a certain way. Unconditioned freedom or happiness is not dependent on how the conditions of the world. So this very deep and radical letting go that can happen that the Buddha, Buddha is pointing to when he's talking about cessation, is he's pointing to the possibility of letting go, or letting go into a happiness, a freedom, a peace, which is not dependent upon anything being any particular way. Does that make sense? And along, that, along the, the path towards that, there can be a lot of small letting goes that build towards that and deepen like a spiral or cycles that kind of go further and further closer towards it. Um, but it's very important to have a set note know that let, letting go is not just deprivation. You're not just letting go in a deprived state of being. You're just letting everything go. Um, in, the, in the teachings of the Buddha, he was very reluctant, seemingly, to um, describe what you let go into when you let go into ultimate freedom. He seemed to be happier to describe things in the, uh, as a, the via negativa, it's the absence of clinging, the absence, the absence of something, the letting go. And um, uh, some schools of Buddhism focus more on the positive description of what you let go into when there's freedom and um, describe that quite a bit. Uh, There's a danger with both kinds of descriptions. The negative description, the absence, letting go, letting go, letting go, it can just seem like it's some kind of annihilation. The positive description, that is this wonderful thing you let go into, gets, gives you the, the sense that there's something which is it, some condition which is it, I got it, or I'm trying to get it. Or, you know. And um, it's neither annihilation nor is it something which is it that you got. So, um, so for whatever reason, the Buddha seemed to err on the side of just saying, you know, not that, not that, let go, let go. Other people err on the side, it's this. Maybe bo- in some sense, both are true. There's a middle way between them. So, um, some of you look sleepy. You weren't supposed to. You're supposed to. So what I'd like you to do is, um, uh, uh, if you could please uh, quietly gather into groups of four. <laughs>